Let's turn to Romans 16, 25 through 27. This is the word of God. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. Father, thank you now for this, your holy word. Your word is truth. And we have confidence, O oh God, that you have revealed yourself to us in your word. May we now, O oh God, glean the wisdom of this text and be convicted and convinced by its truth and be transformed by it, leaving this place different than the way we came in. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we come to the end of the book of Romans, I hope Romans has been as enjoyable for you all as it has been for me, and I hope many of you a couple of weeks ago took my advice to read through the book of Romans. But Paul ends the book of Romans with a benediction that is characteristic of Paul. The word benediction simply means blessing. The one here being blessed is God. Now, at the end of our service, I give a benediction, and that is a blessing to you, and God is praised. But this is specifically a benediction that blesses God. The one being blessed here is God himself. It's also a doxology. A doxology is a praise to God. It's a short statement or a hymn of praise to the Almighty. Now, sometimes we sing a doxology. I have here in my notes in parentheses, sing, question mark, you know, praise God from whom all blessings flow, you know. That is a doxology. It's not the only doxology, but that's a popular doxology. It is a praise to God, a small hymn. And this isn't the only time that Paul has done this. In Romans eleven thirty three. he breaks into doxology. And he says, oh, the depth and the riches, depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Paul loves to praise God. And it's one reason why we spend a good portion of our worship service every Sunday singing songs. We're singing praises to God. We are essentially engaging in doxology. And singing praises to God does something to our hearts. It rehearses in us the great and wonderful works of God, his might, his power, and who he is. And it reminds us, as we are usually in need of reminding, 
just how much we should be thankful for. We think about that as we come into the Thanksgiving season here in a few weeks. Sometimes you have to stop and remind yourself of the things that you should be thankful for. But that's what our praises and the worship music we sing is about. It's about reminding and rehearsing in our hearts the greatness and the glory of God and the things we should be grateful for because, you know, we can quickly slip away from a spirit of gratitude, you know? It's sort of just like sand falling through our hands, you know? Grab a hold of our thankfulness and gratitude and it just evaporates if we're not careful. And so it is something we have to engage in regularly. We have to be reminded of God's lavish love for us. So doxology is praise to God. So Paul ends the entire book of Romans in praise. But it is not just a praise. As we read through, you can see that Paul sort of smuggles in one last bit of teaching, one last bit of sort of summary of the book of Romans. Now, if Paul simply ended with just doxology, it would look like this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ, amen. Right? That's essentially the benediction, if you will. But instead, he summarizes the entire book of Romans, and it's profound for what it states and what, it's, what it repeats. That little section we just read, those two verses. And what it restates is the purpose of Paul's mission and letter, which is the obedience of faith. Now, just think about that word, that phrase for a moment, the obedience of faith. It's kind of oxymoronic, isn't it? The obedience of faith. You may remember that Paul opened the book of Romans in Romans 1 and 5 talking about the obedience of faith. He said in chapter 1, verse 5, in Christ we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. Paul starts the book of Romans declaring that the grace we have received is to impart the obedience of faith to all nations and now at the end of Romans, he reminds us again that all of this, grace through faith alone in Christ alone, is all for the obedience of faith. Now, I said a minute ago, obedience and faith kind of sound oxymoronic. They sound like two different things, right? How can faith be obedience? Obedience is about what you do, not what you believe, right? That's what obedience to the law is. It's doing what the law says. But this idea of obedience, simply being a matter of faith, a matter of faith is quite revolutionary. All that has been written and revealed in Romans is a radical departure from the Judaism of Paul's day. And this is why Paul's message was, well, it was contentious because it sounded like what Paul was saying is never mind with the law, never mind with obeying the commands of God, just believe. Adherence to the law in Paul's day had become a metric 
for measuring one's righteousness. Sort of like a check, you know, a checklist of boxes. Well, God accepts me if I, if I do these things. Check that box, check that box, check that box. And I just want to say for us even today, that's very dangerous. Because we often encounter things that the Bible does not specifically address. And God, rather than us simply saying, well, I've checked this box off, God wants us to think Christianly. God wants us to navigate through tough issues, sometimes gray area issues, with the heart of Christ and figure out what it looks like to be faithful in any particular situation. Does that make sense? And so the obedience of faith is a heart that is filled with a love for God that wants to embody the heart of God even in areas that the Bible has has not sort of covered. Now, as a general rule, generally the Bible sort of speaks to everything, but unique circumstances, especially in our modern world, and you can think about the things that we're facing today as technology sort of develops at such a rapid pace that we're sort of figuring out like, like what, it, what it might look like to, to be obedient to God in circumstances that the Bible does not specifically address. And you can, you can sort of like fill in the blank. You know, we are, we are rapidly developing the ability to do things with the human genome. You know, what does it look like where maybe in 20 years you could choose the color of eyes in your unborn child or how tall they might be or their gender or the color of their hair? And, you know, that, that can, who knows what the future, the very near future might present to us. And as we as the people of God and as Christians in the future navigate these situations, God wants us to do the hard work of not simply looking at a box to check, but rather with the heart of faith, obey God as we follow Christ into sort of uncharted territory. Now, none of that was in my notes. I just sort of, I feel the tension of where we're at in our culture right now. You know, we're on the, the edge, you know, we're, we're right on the edge of, of the future. I mean, we are living in the future right now. And things are happening that previous generations did not have to deal with. But instead of using the law as a metric to measure one's righteousness, in Christ, our righteousness, and this is a huge theme of the book of Romans, is reckoned to us by faith alone. Imparted as a gift of God's free grace. So if someone asks you, how can I be right with God, the first thing comes right out of your mouth is, well, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? We can say that. We would not want to say, well, if you do this, and if you do this, and if you do that, then you can be made right with God. We would want to say, well, it's by faith. By faith in Christ that we're made right with God. But what empowers that faith and what strengthens that faith is the manifestation, according to Paul, of a mystery. The manifestation of a mystery. Charles Cranfield wrote in his legendary work on Romans, 
The apostolic preaching of Jesus Christ is a matter of God's revelation of his secret, which has been hidden in silence for ages from before the creation of the universe, but has now been manifested. The gospel, and this is what Paul is so excited about, and I hope if you read Romans, you can see that, that you know, Paul is just filled with overwhelming zeal for what he's sharing because it is the revelation of a mystery hidden for ages. But it's been manifested in Jesus and been made known now through the proclamation of the church, which is ongoing. It's the manifestation and the revelation of a mystery which was hidden for ages. And so this is how Paul describes the message of Romans in this closing section. The mystery manifested, made known. The mystery, once hidden, manifested through the prophets, made known by preaching. And so I want to quickly move through each of these. Number one, the mystery. Verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. You know, the deepest things about God are hidden from the natural mind. Unbelievers and atheists can figure out a lot of things about God. They can observe things. They know generally a lot of what the Bible says, and they sort of see the church of the, the, the tradition of the church and all of those things, and they can pick up a lot of those things. But the very deepest things about God are hidden from the natural mind, the mind that is not regenerate, the mind that is not enlightened by the Spirit. Hidden. And Douglas Moo, a New Testament scholar, basically says that the idea of the hiddenness of God's plans and purposes is an apocalyptic motif. And if you're not familiar, apocalyptic sort of was a literary genre that emerged about three centuries before Christ, and it essentially taught that the evil in this world will one day be reckoned with as God reveals his plan for the ages to finally, once and for all, vanquish the dark powers of the world and the forces of Satan. I love the Indiana Jones trilogy. I've seen at least the first one probably 20 times, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and then, you know, the first two are the best. The third one is good also. But in each one, there's a discovery of something that will change the course of human history, the Ark of the Covenant, the Shankara Stones, or the Holy Grail. And these ancient forgotten relics, they've been lost to history, and no one knows where they are, but Indiana Jones is out to find them. Because their recovery, at least in the movies, means a dramatic impact on the world. And that's sort of what Paul is communicating here, that the gospel reveals the hidden plan of the ages, God's hidden plan for the ages. And it wasn't that people had no content, no, no knowledge of the content of the mystery of the gospel, but rather they couldn't fully understand or experience it. 
After all, when a person becomes a Christian and gets born again, the world makes sense sort of for the first time. Now, some of us grew up in church, and some of us came to faith later on in life, but I would like to think that each one of us had a moment where we really grabbed the hold of the gospel and really understood it. And when that happened, sort of the lights came on. When I really perceived and understood what the gospel was, it was like the world made sense in a new way that it had not before. Now, for some of you, that was so long ago, you don't remember that experience. But when you truly meditate on what the gospel is and what it proclaims, it fills that void in your heart. And you, may, you understand why nothing satisfies and nothing truly made you happy before. Because when the heart discovers Christ, everything changes. And that is what the mystery revealed is. So the mystery, Paul wants to say, was once hidden, but it has now been manifested. The manifestation of the mystery, verse 26. He says, but the mystery has now been disclosed or made manifest, and through the prophetic writings have been made known. In other words, even though it was not fully understood or experienced in the Old Testament period, Christ was testified by the Old Testament prophets. And there were, you know, Jewish writings and rabbinic commentary on what the prophets meant when they said this or when they said that. And they had an idea of what the Messiah would be and what he would bring, but they weren't exactly sure. But when Christ came, he sort of tied together all those loose ends. Each of the prophets helped to create a kind of messianic expectation, but they didn't have the whole picture. But they got close. I like, uh, this past year, I got into science fiction, hard science fiction. So I don't like the fantasy stuff. I like more of the hard science fiction. And I read, I saw the movie when I was a kid, but I read... Arthur C. Clarke's 2001, A Space Odyssey. I don't know if anyone's read that, but it's fantastic. And it was written in the late 60s, and I was shocked at just how much he anticipated in scientific development, you know, 50 years ago. He didn't have it all, you know, dead to rights accurate, but he got really close. And that was like the prophet's. They couldn't see all of it clearly, but they, they, God revealed a lot to them. And even in their own way of expressing, inspired by God, they were able to nail down a lot of things. And Christ, in his ministry, fulfilled the prophetic writings about the Messiah. And that's what it means when Paul said that mystery was made known through the Old Testament prophetic writings. Because the Old Testament was a kind of type and shadow. The life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus was the antitype or the fulfillment of the type or the shadow. The mystery was manifested, the fulfillment of the prophetic writings. Revelation 19 and 10 says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's why preachers are prophets, not in the sense that they 
are predicting the future. In fact, biblically, that often is not even what prophecy is. Prophecy is proclaiming the things of God, and every time we preach about Jesus, we are in a way prophesying, because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And all, all prophecy that is yet remaining to be fulfilled is still wrapped up in Jesus. You know, today we are in expectation, earnest expectation, of the return of Jesus Christ, which is prophecy that is yet to be fulfilled. Everything about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He is the fulfillment of prophecies past, and he is the object of prophecies not yet fulfilled. And like the people in the Old Covenant era, we have an image and a picture and a loose outline of what the coming of Christ will look like, because we wait in expectation of his return, the resurrection of the dead, the final judgment, but we don't know exactly what it will look like when it comes, but we have an idea. And so we join those saints of old in that anticipation of his coming. And while we don't know the day or the hour, we look to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. He will come in power, he will come in person, and he will come to fulfill all prophecy. Until then... We make the message known. Number three, making it known. The mystery of the good news, Paul says, has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. There's that phrase again. Paul's ministry was about making the good news known to all nations. When you think about Paul's sort of like frantic schedule that he had for a few decades, running all over the ancient Mediterranean world, setting up churches, preaching the gospel to pagans in the Greco-Roman world, and then finding and identifying people who were gifted to be pastors, and then helping them plant and being there for a couple years, and then leaving and saying, God is calling me away. And then writing letters, which are most of his epistles, writing letters to those churches to check up on them and reveal and share with them something that God has shown him through the Spirit. Sometimes his letters say, hey, I've heard this is going on in your assembly. This is not good. Don't do that. This is what the Word says. This is the character of God. This is ungodly. Or he says, I'm writing to you to commend you for your faith because it's come back to me that you have been faithful through suffering and persecution and, has, and have bore up in faith under every trial. Right? And then he goes to another place and he helps plant another church and he helps plant another church. And then he writes letters to those other churches that he was there for two or three years. And often Paul says, I write to you in tears because he misses these people. I mean, the ministry of Paul, I hope that is something that is communicated to you as we've moved through the book of Romans, his missionary heart as sort of an example to us of what it looks like for your heart to burn for the gospel and to be burdened for souls, knowing that without Christ, people are lost. You know, we just don't say that much in our world anymore. Even as Christians, it's sort of uncouth, it's taboo. But there is no salvation outside of Christ. That is why 
Paul breaks his back for decades to travel the known world to spread the gospel because it is only through, and I hope you believe that this morning, and are convinced and persuaded with full confidence that it is only through the atoning death of Jesus that there is salvation. There is salvation in no one else and in nothing else. The atoning death of Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation for humanity, period, hard stop. And that is why the gospel is so important. That is why the preaching of the gospel is so important. That is why each one of us sharing the gospel and being a prophetic voice in your homes, in your neighborhoods, on your jobs, in your schools is so important because it it is the only power of salvation. To those who are perishing, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness. It's silliness. It's backwardness, especially in our sort of post-Christian, Western, enlightened world that we live in, in the West, right? Europe and America. Christianity is seen like some kind of Neanderthal thing, right? It's it's for ignorant, uneducated people. But Paul isn't concerned with that, and I don't know that we should be either. I don't know that we should be so concerned with what someone thinks of us because we believe and serve Jesus. We should be more concerned with their eternal future. And if you don't have a burden for souls this morning, you should pray for that. Lord, give me a burden for souls so so I'm no longer ashamed of sharing the gospel. Let my burden for the souls of the lost be greater than what I care about what people think about me. Right? Because why don't we share the gospel? Well, we're afraid what people might think of us. But I just want to say this, like in the world we live in, at least... Right now, in our context, the worst thing that can happen to you if you share the gospel and someone doesn't receive it is rejection. That's it. Someone will think you're a little kooky. Someone will not respect you as much as they did before. That's the price. That's it. Right? I mean, there were people who proclaimed the gospel and risked their lives. And part of me thinks that sort of the freedom we have in our culture is part of the reason we have so much freedom. I mean, even freedom of our faith. Sort of the ubiquity of Christian faith and the ubiquity of, like, access to even the Bible. I was just talking to someone the other day who said that studies have shown the more books you own, the less books you read. Typically. That may not be true if it's your job to read books, but typically people, like the bigger your library is, the less books, the less of those books you've probably actually read. You know, four, five, six hundred years ago, or 500 years ago, the Gutenberg Press, right? When books came out, people may have had one book or two books, and they had read that book three or four or five or ten times. They knew it backward. Right, And that's why authors 150 years ago could write with so much biblical language like Herman Melville's Moby Dick because people knew the Bible because they didn't own many books and they had read it and they knew it. There is so much freedom to share the gospel. There is so much access we have to the things of God that maybe our hearts have become bored with those things. Maybe, maybe we need to come back into a time again where we are persecuted. For our faith. Maybe then we would value the message. Maybe then we would value the salvation that we've been given in Christ again. I don't know. 
I don't know what it's going to take. But this is what motivates and energizes Paul's heart. As he looks out on the sea of lost souls in the world he lives in, and he does not want people to perish. He wants them to be saved. And he knows that Jesus is the only way for that to happen. That was not just Paul's ministry. That is our ministry. That is the ministry God has given each and every one of us. And forget this whole, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Like, get rid of that. Like, it is, a, it is the Great Commission is for each of us, Right? It's not just for people with the gift of evangelism. It's for all believers. When Paul says the mystery has been made known according to the command of the eternal God, God commands the mystery to be made known. It's a part of God's command to bring about the obedience of faith. He's talking about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit to observe all things, all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you even unto the end of the age. A few things that are instructive for us. Number one, we never go alone. Whenever we proclaim the truth about Jesus, we're never alone. Even if physically we're by ourselves, Jesus is with us. His spirit is with us when we proclaim his truth, the truth about Jesus, the truth of the gospel, he is with us. His power is present with us. The second thing is the imperative is not on the word go, but on the word make disciples. So if you've read that and you said, well, I haven't been called to go, that's a missionary's job. No, the... The feeling of that verse, the context of that verse is as you go, wherever you go, whether it's your local neighborhood, your job, the PTA, your homeschooling network, whatever it is, as you go, wherever you go, make disciples. Going, therefore, wherever you go, make disciples of all people. That's the imperative we have. The indicative is God's lavish love for us by grace through faith in Jesus, which saves us. The imperative is now make it known. The indicative, God's love in Christ for us by faith. The imperative, make it known. Make the message known and go spread the gospel. And in summary, what is the gospel? The gospel is that God sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to do what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. And that's save. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, O God, for your faithful servant Paul and for the inspired and inerrant book of Romans delivered to us down through the ages. We pray, O oh God, that its message, its word, 
would motivate and convict our hearts, O oh God, to follow after Christ hard with all of our heart, mind, body, and soul, to love you with our whole hearts, and to take, O oh God, what you have given us, which is grace, undeserved, because of your love in Christ, acquired and applied to us only by faith, which itself is a gift of the Spirit, and to share it. And to reach out, O oh God, to our neighbors, to our friends and family, to our community, knowing, O oh God, that the time is short, even the time we have here in this world, because tomorrow is not promised for any of us. Let us boldly and with confidence, knowing that you will never leave or forsake us, proclaim the gospel of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.